Well, as you can see, the title of this is Law or Grace. Uh, you notice it's not Law and Grace. It's Law or Grace, one or the other. Um, this sermon is it's a sort of part two of Mike's sermon he did a few weeks back on the Seventh-day Adventist pamphlet that I know some of you got on keeping the Sabbath for salvation. And... Uh, and as Mike has already addressed this issue of the Sabbath, and it's clear scriptural teaching that Christians aren't bound by these laws, but have the liberty in Christ to be free of laws and statutes for salvation, but are free to keep or not to keep whatever days they wish. So what I'm addressing is a deeper issue of are we saved by law or grace, or some sort of combination of these, I think many struggle with this issue, and this isn't a recent issue, but back in the early church they had this ongoing struggle, which Paul especially addressed in most of his writings, and we see it very clearly addressed by the Jerusalem Council in 48 AD, by most of the early church fathers, as recorded in Acts 15. But still it seems many struggle with this issue of works and grace. That they would address this issue so clearly early on shows that there is something in mankind's fallen nature that thinks or wants to be justified by their own efforts. And we don't want to be beholden to anyone or to have to rely on a promise. So as I like to do, I'm just giving you the meanings of key words I'm using in this sermon. So mercy, compassion or forgiveness shown towards someone whom it is within, within one's power to punish or harm, i.e. not getting what we deserve. Grace, unmerited divine assistance given to humans for their regeneration or sanctification, i.e. getting what we don't deserve. Righteousness, acting in accordance with divine or moral law, free from guilt or sin, the quality of being morally right or justifiable. Self-righteousness, convinced of one's own righteousness, especially in contrast with the actions and beliefs of others. Justification, the action of declaring or making righteous in the sight of God, Sin, transgression against divine law, i.e. missing the mark. In Acts 15, we see this issue of law or grace playing out. So in Acts 15, 1-3. And certain men came down from Judea and taught the brethren, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. Therefore, when Paul and Barnabas had no small decision, dissension and dispute with them, and they determined that Paul and Barnabas and certain others of them should go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and elders about this question. So here in the early days of the church, there was this misunderstanding of the role of the law and the role of grace 
And we see the decree of the Jerusalem Council in Acts 15, 4, 14. And when they came to Jerusalem, they were received by the church and the apostles and the elders, and they reported all the things that God had done with them. But some of the sect of the Pharisees who believed rose up, saying, It is necessary to circumcise them and command them to keep the law of Moses. Now the apostles and elders came together to consider this matter. And when there had been much dispute, Peter rose up and said to them, Men and brethren, you know that a good while ago God chose among us that by my mouth the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. So God, who knows the heart, acknowledged them by giving them the Holy Spirit, just as he did to us, and made no distinction between us and them, purifying their heart by faith. Now therefore, why do you test God by putting a yoke on the neck of the disciples, which neither our fathers nor we were able to bear? But we believe that through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ we shall be saved in the same manner as they. Then all the multitude kept silent and listened to Barnabas and Paul, declaring how many miracles and wonders God had worked through them among the Gentiles. And after they became silent, James answered, saying, Men and brethren, listen to me. Simon has declared how God at the first visited the Gentiles to take out of them a people for his name. And in Acts 15, 21 we see their decision. Therefore I judge that we should not trouble those from among the Gentiles who are turning to God, but that we write them to abstain from things polluted by idols, from sexual immorality, from things strangled, and from blood. So we see here no regulation or requirement for Christians to keep the Sabbath, or any other laws except those listed above. For if it was necessary, they would have stated it here. It's Christ that had to keep the law perfectly to obtain the righteousness of the Lord. And because of his righteousness, when we place our faith in him, his righteousness is imputed to us by faith. It's not a righteousness we gain by works. The law doesn't make us right with God. The law shows us we can never be right with God by works, for we cannot keep the law perfectly. If your hope is in your good deeds, the law condemns you for the laws you have broken. Works do not nullify the offence caused by sin. Justice will be served one way or the other. Either you must accept the pardon and forgiveness through Christ, or you will face justice yourself. Don't think your bribe of good deeds will appease a holy and just God. Works done for self-justification are filthy rags in God's sight. Galatians 2.16 Knowing that a man is not justified by works of the law, but by faith of Jesus Christ, even we have believed in Jesus Christ, that we might be justified by the faith of Christ, and not by the works of the law, for by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. Works do not atone for sin, 
Only the shedding of blood will there be the remission of sin. It's yours or Christ. The choice is yours. Those who try to keep the law are usually ignorant of its holy demands. It requires perfection in thought, word and deed. Paul in Galatians tells us the role of the law. Wherefore the law was our schoolmaster to bring us unto Christ, that we might be justified by faith. But after that faith has come, we are no longer under a schoolmaster. Thinking you are pleasing God by keeping the Sabbath or any other law is wrong. We please God by believing in his Son, and that belief should influence everything we do. But if you want to keep certain days in certain ways, that is between you and God. But keeping certain days doesn't make you right with God. Using knickers, for example, who has to work most Sabbath days, does that make him any less a Christian than someone who's retired and can keep any or all days as a Sabbath? If you think keeping the Sabbath or any other law makes you right with God, then that is works. And works means God owes you, which is debt. When we try to keep the law by our own efforts, this is works. And when works are done to justify ourselves, this is self-righteousness. And self-righteousness goes hand in hand with pride. Many don't see their need for Christ because by doing their works and good deeds, they're justifying themselves and are self-righteous. And this is why I think many have little love for Christ, for they see little need for his grace. And this is the danger of works. They can deceive us into thinking that we're right with God when we are not. We despise the grace of God when we observe the law for the purpose of being justified. The law is good and holy and profitable, but it does not justify. To keep the law in order to be justified means to be means to reject grace, to deny Christ, to despise his sacrifice and to be lost. Martin Luther When we self-righteously justify ourselves by our works, this blinds us to our need of a saviour. And this is the danger of all religions based on salvation by works. And that is all religions except the original Christianity. Original Christianity is unique in this regard of salvation by God's grace alone. All other religions and Christian offshoots are tied up with works for salvation of some sort. Works can give you no hope, no assurance of salvation, for you can never know whether you've done enough good deeds to qualify. With the promise, on the other hand, you can have full assurance, for a promise from someone trustworthy is as good as if it was already been obtained. Grace is something that is given regardless of who we are or what we have done. So there is no room for pride, for we have been given something we haven't earned in any way. 
If our salvation started by faith, then it's still salvation by faith in the middle, and at the end of our lives it's still salvation by faith. It doesn't somehow mysteriously switch from faith to works. We are saved by God's grace through faith, and that's it. There's nothing else that can be added to it. Galatians 3, 2-3 This only would I learn of you. Receive ye the Spirit by the works of the law, or by the hearing of faith? Are ye so foolish? Having begun in the spirit, are you now made perfect by the flesh? So though it may be wise to have a day of rest for spiritual and physical reasons, and we're commanded not to neglect fellowship with the other believers, and there are other laws that are good to keep, that won't make you any more holy than faith in Christ does. But if for love for him who died for you, you want to keep certain things in certain ways, that's entirely up to you. When our works are done from a heart of love for God and a heart of gratitude for what he has done for us through Christ, then works are a sweet savour to God. But if we do works to justify ourselves, then they're filthy rags in his sight and will be rejected. We are under grace, not under the law, so we have the liberty to keep certain days as we see fit, or to eat a juicy steak or not. But what, if what we do is God-honouring and done because of our faith in Christ, then it will be accepted. But we aren't to use our liberty to occasion the flesh or to cause a brother to stumble to sin by our actions. I find it ironic that man wants to keep certain laws and then ignores the rest. For instance, they, they want the law of the Sabbath, but ignore the law to be circumcised. If the law saves you, then you have to keep all parts of it perfectly. You cannot pick and choose. If we are under the law, then we aren't under grace. Or if we are under grace, we aren't bound by the law. We are saved by grace, or we aren't saved at all. The thing that people seem to get stuck on is the way we keep the law. When, when we are saved by grace and are born again, we keep the law because he changes our nature so it becomes natural to do the things of the law. We are keeping it because it becomes our nature to do so. We are born again. We don't steal from our neighbour, not because the law says not to, but because if we love our neighbour, we have no desire to steal from them. When we are born again in Christ, his law is written on our hearts, so we ought to keep the things written in the moral law, not because of the letter of the law, but because it becomes our nature to do so. Jesus said, The law is summed up in loving God with all your heart, mind and strength, which fulfils the first and greatest requirements of the Lord, and to love your neighbour as yourself, which fulfils the rest. So in keeping these two things by your new nature, you are fulfilling the requirements of the law. But our righteous deeds come from not acting righteous, but because in Christ we are righteous in God's sight. 
Righteous acts of themselves don't make us righteous. We do righteous acts because we are already righteous by faith. It is our faith in Christ to save us that makes us right with God, not keeping audiences. If we are made right with God by faith in Christ, what room is there for works? Works just show that our faith is real. There ought to be evidence of an encounter with Jesus Christ. Faith must come before works, for works can never make us right with God. Works should show that we have already been made right. Christ has met the righteous requirements of the law, for he kept it perfectly. So then, because of our faith in him, we don't have to. His righteousness is imputed to us by faith. This is the liberty we have in Christ. We are free to keep or not to keep any law or audience as, long as we want, as long as it's God-honouring, which, if we are keeping the first law to love God with all your heart, mind and strength, we will be doing. Just don't think it makes you any more holy than a fellow Christian that does things differently. If done to honour God, he receives both for Christ's sake, for by faith are we justified. Our motivation for works should come from the grace already shown us. Works do not bring grace. If you're in Christ, you are accepted by God. You can do nothing else to make yourself more righteous in his sight. What can keeping the Sabbath or any other law add to the salvation that we have in Jesus Christ? Works add nothing. As Paul said in Galatians 2.21 I do not frustrate the grace of God, for if righteousness comes by the law, then Christ is dead in vain. We must not link works with salvation. Works come from our salvation, not for our salvation. Understand the distinction. If righteousness comes by works, why did Christ die? We see in Gethsemane, Jesus said, O oh my Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. You see, if there was another way, Jesus wouldn't have gone to the cross. But there was no other way. Jesus had to atone for our sin so we could be justified. Human self-righteousness denies the need for the saving, enabling grace of Christ. Human righteousness embraces the cruelest of Satan's lies, that a person can be righteous by keeping the law. If that were true, there would have been no need for the birth, life and death and resurrection of Christ. Paul David Tripp Galatians 3, 21-22 Is the law then against the promises of God? God forbid. For if there had been a, a law which could have been given if there had been a law given which could have given life, verily righteousness should have been by the law. 
But the scripture hath concluded all under sin, that the promise by faith of Jesus Christ might be given to them that believe. Our only plea before a holy and righteous God is for mercy, and it's only in the light of God's holiness as shown in his law that we can sense and understand our own unholiness. Lower the law and you dim the light. They will never accept grace till they tremble before a just and holy law. Therefore the law serves a most necessary purpose that must not be removed from its place. Charles Spurgeon I shudder at the thought of if I had to justify myself by my works before a holy God. I desperately cling to God's mercy and grace, for I know if I am saved by works in any way, then I am lost and without hope. No, my only hope is the mercy and grace of God. And if God declares me to be righteous because of faith, who am I to argue with God because at times I don't feel particularly righteous? God's decree nullifies my feelings. The law never came to save men. It never was its intention at all. It comes on purpose to make the evidence complete that salvation by works is impossible. Charles Spurgeon Why we are still in the flesh, we still have these constant battles between the spirit and flesh. This is a reminder of our desperate ongoing need for God's mercy and grace and we'll never be in a place where we won't still need his mercy and grace. Our failures demonstrate how great is the goodness and mercy of God. We don't have to be perfect by our own efforts, nor can we be. His grace is sufficient for us. As we don't expect our children to be perfect straight away, but expect to have to put a lot of effort and love, discipline and sacrifice into their lives, so God is with us. This is why salvation can only be by grace through faith. For it is his grace that covers our shortfall until we are completed in Christ's image. This is what Jesus told Paul when Paul was struggling with something. My grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Our shortcomings show our ongoing need for grace and is the reason I think that God allows us as Christians to struggle. As like Paul, we can know that his grace is sufficient for us and we will hope in nothing but his goodness and grace. He doesn't want us misplacing our trust in good deeds but to trust solely on him for salvation. Paul got about as close as any to achieving the righteousness of the law, and like the Pharisees, the outside was well clean. But we see Paul's fallen nature in his persecution of the church. Though he tied mint and dew and cumin, and, but he neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faith. 
Paul well knew the inadequacy of trying to keep the law and the futility of trying to be righteous by his own efforts and counted all that he once had as dung compared to the excellency of the knowledge of Christ and his grace, which is why I think Paul so strongly stood for salvation by grace. For he knew, he well knew the futility of trying to justify himself before God. And I think Paul was staggered by the grace shown to him that so zealously persecuted God's people. What hope did the law give the thief on the cross? The law condemned that man. What use was a Sabbath to that sinner? No, he knew his only hope was the mercy of God through Christ. What hope did the law give the harlot weeping at Jesus' feet and drawing them with her hair in Luke 7? The law rightly condemned her. Christ knew her many sins, as many as her tears, yet also saw her heart pleading for mercy. God's mercy was her only hope, and though her sins were many, they were forgiven, not by works, not by keeping the Sabbath, but by her faith in Christ to save her. What did Jesus say to her? Go in peace, for your faith has saved you. We see in these two examples that it's very clear that these two were saved by grace alone, by faith alone, by Christ alone. What hope does works give to one who has no works like the thief or the many that have repented at the last? The only hope, like our only hope, is God's mercy and grace as displayed through Jesus Christ. We're not saved by works or any goodness of our own, but solely by his grace. It's as simple as Jesus said, those that believe in me shall live. He's done all that was necessary to allow for this to be possible if we would but accept it. What does this faith look like? It's a bit like parachuting. You can know all there is to know about parachuting, the physics of it, the statistics, and may even believe that parachutes work. But you aren't putting your faith in them until you strap it on and jump out of an aircraft. The same with the Christian faith. We can know all there is to know about Christ and even believe that he is real and saves sinners. But until you in faith put him on and step out, you will never know Christ. His mercy and grace are only obtained when we take the step of faith, as the thief and the prostitute did. Think of the faith it took for that woman to go into a self-righteous Pharisee's house and the despising and scorn she faced. Yet she wouldn't be deterred until she obtained the promise. And think of the faith it took for the thief on the cross to place his faith in Jesus, who is suffering the same fate, the Messiah nailed to a cross. Yet he by faith obtained a promise despite what he saw. Each of us, like the thief and the prostitute, must come in humility before Christ, acknowledging the sinfulness of our hearts and deeds and desires, that we have all violated God's standard of righteousness and our need of a saviour, 
An understanding like these two, our total inability to save ourselves by good deeds, having no confidence in the flesh. And when we do this, like this woman, we're told, go in peace, your faith has saved you. So what is this faith? It's not faith in faith, or somehow you have to manufacture some sort of feelings of faith. It's simply a faith in Christ to do what he said he would to all who come believing and will save us from our sins. We are all like the thief nailed to a cross of sin, helpless to be free of sin's clutches. All we can do is like the thief is to call on the master to remember us in a plea of mercy. And like the thief, we have nothing of ourselves to offer. No inherent goodness, no good deeds, nothing but a plea of mercy before a gracious and merciful God. A broken and contrite heart God will not despise. That woman whose sins were many by her faith condemns many who are self-righteously seeking to justify themselves by their works. Would that woman continue on in her whoredoms that grace may abound? I think not. Why would you cheapen such love by putting yourself back into the bondage of sin after tasting the grace and love and liberty of Christ? Oh, how deceitful is sin, promising so much yet delivering only shame and bondage and death. Such a grievous burden to be borne by the sinner, the sin that never satisfies but lusts after ever more deepest sin. As Jesus said, whoever serves sin is a slave of sin. And what a cruel taskmaster sin is. How different is the liberty of Christ. Though at times the Christian walk isn't easy, how easy and light and free is the way of Christ compared to sin. Matthew 11, 29, 30. Come unto me, all ye that labour and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and you shall find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. As Jesus said, whom the Son sets free is free indeed. So why would you want to again put yourself back under the yoke of sin after tasting the liberty of Christ? That someone would want to carry on in their sin shows that there is no remorse for sin or a desire of repentance to turn away from sin and have thus never really encountered the grace of God. That is why I think many take the grace of God so lightly. They've never truly encountered it. They don't understand the sinfulness of their sin before a holy God and because of their lack of understanding of the role of the law. The grace that does not change my life will not save my soul. Charles Spurgeon Is the law bad then? No, the law is fulfilling its purpose in showing us what sin is and our inability to keep the law by the flesh. It shows us the righteous standard of God and when 
we understand these things, we see a need of a saviour. The failure of the Lord is it doesn't change hearts. Romans 3.20 Therefore by the deeds of the law shall no flesh be justified in his sight, for by the law is a knowledge of sin. But while a man can be restrained by strict law and order, he cannot be changed by law. He cannot be saved by law. Man can only be saved by the grace of God through Jesus Christ. Many, like Simon the Pharisee, don't come to Christ because they're self-righteous from justifying themselves by works. So see no need of a saviour. And because they see little need of forgiveness, they love little. And I think there are many of those who see themselves as Christians who are in this category. Many compare themselves against someone worse and think they aren't too bad at all. But comparing yourself against someone worse than you doesn't make you good. All it shows is your badness isn't as bad as the other fellow, but you're still bad. It's a bit like a one dirty old tramp despising another dirty old tramp for being unclean because he isn't quite as dirty as the other tramp. It doesn't mean he's clean. But if he compared himself against some universal standard of cleanliness, then he would see himself for what he is, a dirty old tramp. Comparing yourself against a sinner... Comparing yourself against a worse sinner doesn't mean you're holy. You're still a sinner. Maybe not to the same degree as the other, but a sinner nevertheless. It's only when you compare yourself against God's holy standard of righteousness that our sin is exposed for what it is. That God provided a way for sinners to be made righteous by paying the price for sin, which is death, shows the goodness of his character and the depth of his love. Just think about it. We would lay down our lives for those we love, our friends, maybe, our spouses, our children, our grandchildren, without a second thought. But think of the most vilest, depraved, wickedest sinner you've ever met. And maybe it is yourself. Would you lay down your life for them? That is what Christ did. Why we were sinners, Christ died for us. Not when we are at our best, but our very worst. Why we were his enemies, he died for us. We cannot add to this love. All we can do is receive it in faith. Don't ever let man or devil try to tell you that God isn't love. That he would do this as proof of his love. Ephesians 2, 4-10 But God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace 
and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is a gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. <coughs> when God says, says because of our faith in Christ, he removes our sin from us as far as the east is from the west, he is saying he sees us as innocent, as if that sin had never happened. The slate is wiped clean. Our record is expunged. And that is how a repentant sinner through Christ can stand before a holy God, for God sees them as innocent. What benefit is works then? Work shows our faith is real, for there should be evidence of an encounter with Jesus Christ. And works clearly bring eternal rewards when done in Christ. But it has nothing to do with being made right with God in the first place. It shows that we are right with God. We aren't made right with God by our actions, but by faith. But true faith will bring forth actions, as James said. Though works are not linked to salvation in any way, there will be great eternal reward for all good works done for Christ. In Revelations, we're told the saints' good works followed them. Jesus said those that give a child a glass of water in his name will receive reward. And he said those that suffer for his name will be greatly rewarded. So there is great eternal benefits for doing works for Christ. And clearly a Christian should be doing many good works of all sorts, but we are not saved by those works. It's easy to relate our righteousness with our works, but it's faith that saves us. If we're in Christ, we're righteous because of our faith in him. We cannot add to this. You cannot add to grace by works, or it isn't grace. When our righteousness is in Christ alone, where is the boasting? We've been given something we haven't earned. With grace there can be no pride, no self-righteousness. There ought to be only deep and humble gratitude that God would extend such love to us. So though good works ought to come from a regenerated heart, they of themselves don't necessarily indicate a righteous heart before God. For many times we've seen someone that has appeared to have the trappings of righteousness, but have turned out to be desperately wicked. Jesus said the same thing. Many will come before me on that day and say, didn't we do this and that in your name, trying to justify themselves for their works? And Jesus will say, I never knew you, depart from me, ye that work iniquity. Works tend to bring pride and an attitude of God owes me and is in debt to me. God owes us nothing, we owe him everything. I used to tell the children when they didn't like how I did a certain thing, 
that he who pays the bulls makes the rules. God, in making heaven and earth and in paying the debt of our sin, has paid the bulls, so it's only right that he makes the rules. His rule is that there is salvation in Christ alone. <coughs> That's it. If I made up a contract in my head <coughs> that my boss would pay me $100 an hour to do nothing, and if he wasn't privy to it or agreed to it, then if he doesn't honour it, I can hardly get upset with him, for it never was an agreement. I think many people seem to have this sort of contract with God. They have this attitude, oh, I've done this or that, so God owes me, and then get upset when they don't get what they want. It was never a contract because both parties have to agree. God has given us a contract of faith in Christ alone for salvation. And when we accept this condition, that is the condition. We cannot add to it and think God is bound by our additions. We need to clearly understand our complete inability to, in any respect, to save ourselves or to add to our salvation in Christ, so that we cling to his grace as a drowning man clings to his rescuer. The law can never make you righteous. The law condemns us, for it clearly shows that we cannot keep the law. And this is the intent of the law, to show us the sinfulness of our sin and to bring us to Christ. I would not know I am a sinner except the law shows me. Is the law bad? No, the issue isn't the law, the issue is us. We can't keep the law perfectly. But it's through the law and knowledge of sin that the law brings us to Christ who fulfilled the righteous requirements of the law and through faith in him to save us imputes that righteousness to us. If we're keeping the intent of the law of the Sabbath or any other law, which is to honour and remember God in all things, then we're keeping the law, not by the letter of the law, but by deed. And it matters not what day we keep or not or no day. Keeping the law by audience is contrary to the liberty which Christ has set us free. Galatians 5.1 Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty wherewith Christ has made us free, and be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. So in convicting us of sin, the law is fulfilling its... In well, this is the summary. So in convicting us of sin, the law is fulfilled, fulfilling its intended role to bring us to Christ. That is why our justification is through grace alone, by faith alone, and Christ alone. At times we might not feel particularly holy or righteous, but because of our faith in Christ, the same faith that the thief and the harlot displayed, God declares us righteous. And if Almighty God declares us righteous because of faith, who's going to argue of that? For our righteousness isn't dependent on our feelings. That glorious day will come when the battle will be won, the war will be over, we'll hang up our sword and shield, lay aside our armour, 
and will enter into his rest, and we will be completed into his image. But in the meantime, let us never forget nor cheapen his, cheapen his amazing grace that has constantly shown us, and may our service be from a deep love for him who would do this for us. And always remember that our salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, according to scripture alone, for God's glory alone.